we all feel better. In the dark, feel better. In the dark, we all feel better. In the dark, in the dark. Kick your ass. And see, since he's my friend, I'll have to kick your ass too. You know? First, you give us this stupid Poughkeepsie yeah, tapes I mean, you know, bullshit ripoff. Because he's my boy. Yeah. 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 Check it. Let me tell you about these two dudes from Brooklyn. You won't view movies the same way again. Every two weeks you get something new and hate it or love it, they break it down for you. Tom DJ and Derek Ferguson been writing for years, got respect from the peers. Watch these movies for all benefit. The watching Halloween, love time rather spit. How about a couple musicals or maybe Dennis Quaid? But Tom's on a rant, directors be afraid. Episodes classic, don't get it twisted. And from the start, these two have been gifted. Tom loves Kristen and Derek loves Pam. Tom hates heroes and Derek can't stand. Remake some movies that don't need remade. Watch out studios, they won't be played. So give it up for T and give it up for D. Coolest guys from Brooklyn, this side of Jay-Z. My name's B hyphen and it's time to start. Cause we all feel better, better, better in the dark. Podcast. <laughs> K-E-Y. Why? Because Kelly from Podcrawlers really wanted to hear us talk about this. <laughs> M-O-U-S-E. That was good. Despite the moaning, folks, we're going to keep going <laughs> with the singing. You are not going to stop us from singing. That was a wonderful introduction, uh, I, Tom. I just came up with it on the fly. And in case you couldn't tell from what he was singing about, this is going to be... Uh, episode where we're going to be talking about Disney movies, but not just any Disney movies. Yeah, we're movies. not talking about no Snow, Snow White, White Dumbo, Pinocchio, Pinocchio, Sword in the Stone, not, or God help us, none of that Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Pocahontas. I like the Little Mermaid. Bite your tongue. The, Didn't like Aladdin though. That second, what they call the, the second age of Disney, that started mm-hmm. with the Little Mermaid, where we saw the formula Disney movie, where you had the plucky female heroine. And the goofy comedy sidekick. Uh-huh. And the villain who is based on a famous actor or yeah. actress. Which is so interchangeable beyond a certain point. But and that's they, not what we're talking about. But they did have a couple of good ones. Mm-hmm. Like they had Hercules. Hercules I like. Any film that features a villain based on James Woods. Well, he did The Voice. Yeah, but Hades was, in fact, physically based on James oh, phys- Woods. Yeah. But then again, you get stuff like The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Which was just hideous. Yeah, that one I did. And I, I still, one. to this day, don't understand how Disney looked at this book by Victor Hugo, which ended with people digging up a grave and finding the skeleton of the hunchback, hugging the skeleton of Esmeralda, and thinking, <laughs> here's family movie gold right here! <laughs> we can get something out of, we this. Get out of this. We can get toys out of this yeah. one. But what we're talking about is an earlier period, pretty much all of the 80s, yeah. where Disney was in serious straits. Which is why we're calling this the dark days of right. Disney. The cutesy pool movies weren't right. working anymore. 
we're now comfortably in the era of Star Wars and Jaws, mm-hmm. the big summer blockbuster right. movies, and Disney, quite frankly, is on the way out because nobody is lining up to go see the rescuer. <laughs> in fact, I think there was some actual serious talk about them going bankrupt at some time during this period. Mm-hmm. But anyway, you're Derek Ferguson. And he's Thomas DJ. In case you didn't know, we're talking here in Better in the Dark. We're mass communicating. Mass communicating. We're sending out our thought waves to you people in the intraweb. The great somewhere out there. The great tube. It's a series of tubes. It's not a truck. The great somewhere out there. To use another song from another Disney so, movie. And this episode, while it wasn't suggested by her, we had come up with this idea when we first conceived of the show. This show had been one that is eagerly awaited by one of our dear, dear friends, Kelly from Podcrawlers, who is a big Disney fan. So this one, Kelly, is for you, and I hope you enjoy it, because we are about to talk about a sextet of films from that period where Disney was desperate to get back on the map and was just throwing, it seems like, anything up on the screen to see what would stick. Desperately trying to see what would work. Because like I said, we're comfortably in the era of Star Wars. People are not lining up to see the Rescuers or Herbie the Love Bug anymore. Yeah. The computer wore also, tennis I think shoes. <laughs> what kind of hurt was that Disney was somewhat slow in getting in on the VHS thing. They always had this whole idea that they would take a film and they would put it in the vault for like 15, 20 years. Yeah. And, and then, then re-release And it. then reissue. Right. right. And I think they were still doing that into the 80s. I remember seeing Fantasia at a big screen on Liberty Avenue. Oh yeah, yeah. Well Fantasia was a perennial favorite yeah. that they would drag out every five years or six years or so that they would make Because well, Fant- I remember that I took Patricia, because Patricia had never seen Fantasia right. during one of those reissues mm-hmm. back in those days during the 80s when we were first met and we were dating I took it right. to Fantasia. In yeah. fact what the intention of Walt Disney was always that every time they reissued they would retire a sequence right. or two and put in a new animated sequence set to a different piece of classical music. Right. Which they never got around to doing until the last reissue where they removed a couple of things and they introduced the sequence that was inspired by the Hirschfeld yeah. caricatures. That was Disney's original plan. Every time it was reissued, right. older pieces would be taken out and new ones would be mm-hmm. inserted. So you would be seeing the new version of Fantasia right. every time you went back to the movie theater. And I've heard that they might be doing that, but having DVD reissues of it, which of course with the digital I mean, technology would be a lot mm-hmm. easier. Yeah. You look at Disney now, where they got saved by this little tiny film called The Little Mermaid, that I don't think anybody knew was going to do as well as it did. But you look at them then, and they were a bunch of scared men. You're right, Star Wars is probably the thing that started the death watch for Disney. Because Star Wars brought in the big spectacle that the whole family could watch. Yeah. As much as I dislike Star Wars, it's a very innocent film. It can be viewed by a four-year-old or a 14-year-old. Or a 40-year-old. Everybody gets it. They can all go see the same movie, and they all get it. Right. Which was the same thing that Disney used to do back in the day. But somewhere along the line, they forgot how to do it. And a lot of people don't realize how influential. Star Wars made the whole industry wake up and say, we better start. I think it was a series of cannon shots across the bat that I would say starts with Jaws. Yeah. Uh, There are some people who argue it starts as early as The Godfather. Hmm. Where. Interesting, yeah. You had more of an emphasis on the event film. Yeah, the, the big, spectacular, shouty, blow things up thing. The one movie that everybody had to see. Right, exactly. And so. Disney, who was so used to putting out every two or three years the same kind of formula, Disney film. And we'll see, as we get further into this episode, how they tried to attach the old school Disney formula to something much darker, and it flopped miserably. Mm. And it's worth noting that this is way before the era of 
Michael Eisner yeah. and Katzenberger. Katzenberg. Katzenberg, who eventually who hurled eventually, them out of bankruptcy into the giant that they are again. Right. But I think this, also one of the things that Katzenberger and Eisner did that they were reluctant to was getting Disney back into television. There was a long period of time when, after the wonderful world of Disney disappeared from NBC, where Disney wasn't really involved much in television. Eisner and Katzenberg got them back into it through Disney Channel. And yeah. This new market called Cable, and they rebuilt into the... And they got four or five channels right. on there, because I've got them on my DirecTV. They got Disney 1, Disney right. 2. They've got now... Oh, hell! hell! It was thanks to Eisner and Katzenberg that they broke into the syndication market when it was first starting to become a venue for original cartoons. Oh, yeah. With Channel, DuckTales. Yeah, Channel 11. Had right. The whole afternoon was the Disney afternoon, that's what they call it. which then begot Tailspin, yeah. uh, Rescue Rangers, Rescue Rangers, Darkwing Duck, Gargoyles... Which could fit into this because this is a that was a very dark show for a Disney and show. Gargoyles is pretty good, and they've got a new station now, XD. Guess what they're showing? They're what? showing the Silver Surfer cartoon. Whoa! They're well, because there's that weird rights situation where Disney owns the animation company that originally did a lot of those Fox. Disney owns ABC. Somewhere they own. The original animation company mm-hmm. that was Marvel Studios. Right. That did the 90s Spider-Man series. Because they're showing that. They're showing Spider-Man Unlimited. Right. They're showing Avengers. Right. Oh, I hated that. Hulk. Thing. Iron right. Man. They're showing all, all, all those, of these. The, the Tom Tanaranowitz uh, shows that you yeah. and I praised in the yeah. past. Yeah, yeah. They're showing all of them on this new channel. But Disney has got five or six. Right. And it's hard to believe that there was a period of time when Disney was not the king of the world. No, it wasn't. I believe at this period it was being run by Walt Disney's son-in-law. And everybody was running around without a clue. They didn't know what to do. And they were throwing everything they could up on the screen, desperately hoping something would click. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through six of these films. Where where Disney moved into definite darker territory. And different genres than we've ever seen them do before. Right. And the first one we're going to talk about is their attempt to do... A Star Wars-style epic. And it's notable that all of these movies that we're going to talk about are not animated, which is what Disney built his reputation on. These are all live-action movies. A lot of them with some really big-name stars that you would not expect to see in a Disney movie, such as the first movie we're going to talk about. Which is The Black Hole, 1979, which is their direct response to Star Wars mm-hmm. and to Close Encounters and to all the science fiction mania that was going on in the late 70s. Actually, this movie is a hodgepodge of a mm-hmm. lot of things. It's a little bit of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah. It's a little bit of 2001 mm-hmm. at the end. It's but made- you know what I think is its, its biggest sin is that it goes on longer than it has to because at its base, it's a very simple story in that you have this research vessel at the beginning of the movie, we're introduced to these space explorers. The there's, there's Robert Forster, right. who's the pilot. Captain there's Dan his Helen. second in command, played by Joseph Bottoms, right. the redheaded stepchild of the Bottoms right. clan. Yvette Mimiu, right. who we're never sure what her function is, but she's on the ship. Right. Ernest Borgnine, who's a reporter. Mm-hmm. Right. And Anthony Perkins. Who's a scientist. Right. Dr. Kate McRae, Yvette Mimeo's character. Mm-hmm. Some sort of psychic sensitivity. Which mm-hmm. might be why she's on the ship. Matter of fact, she can communicate with telepathically with the robot Vincent. Vincent. Who is voiced by an uncredited Roddy McDowell, McDowell, right? Who's this really cutesy robot that's supposed to be a combination, I guess, of R2D2 right. and C3PO, who's really too cute a robot for the subject matter of right. this movie. Although, one of the things I liked about Vince is apparently he was programmed with all this literature knowledge. So he's constantly throwing out quotes from great literature to make his points. Yeah, yeah, he's always quoting for something. They're in this deep space research exploration vessel, the Palomino. 
and they come across a black hole in space. Right. Now, of course, they say we got to go around it. As it turns out, there's this huge Hawkins spaceship that's stationary right at the event horizon. And it should have been pulled into the black hole, Long but it's up. not. So the Anthony Perkins character said we should investigate. Of course, they investigate. They nearly get sucked into the black hole themselves, mm-hmm. but they escape and they land on this vessel, which is called the Cygnus. Coincidentally, if I remember... McCray's father? Yeah, her Served father. on the sickness. He was the second in command under Dr. Hans Reinhardt, mm-hmm. who is your typical mad scientist. Played by Maximilian Schell. <laughs> there are certain people that we've mentioned in the past, and if you know that they're in charge of something, it's no good. It's not a good idea. They land aboard the ship, and they meet Dr. Reinhardt. They ask, well, what happened to right. your crew? Because he was supposed to return to Earth, but he never did. Right. He claims his crew left. Right. And they went back to Earth because he says, oh, they didn't make it back? There are these funky robots walking around that... Yeah, with black robes right. and blank faces. Let's not forget Maximilian. Right. The security droid. Who's this big seven-foot-tall floating robot. Right. He doesn't have hands. He has buzz right. saws. Once again. Excuse me. Why do you have a seven-foot-tall robot <laughs> with buzz <laughs> saws for hands? There is so much wrong with this ship. They have to make repairs anyway, so Robert Foster and his crew, they're all going around the ship and they're all making their separate discoveries. Ernest Borgnine runs into a robot that maintains the hydroponic gardens that has a limp. And he says, well, wait a minute, why does a robot have a limp? Robert Forster sees robots actually having a funeral for another robot, which they shoot into the black hole. And in the meantime, the Maximilian Shell character is having these long conversations with Anthony Perkins' character about the wonder of the black hole and it's the eye of God. In other words, and join the dark side, Luke. He's going to go through the yeah. black hole and go where no man has gone before. Right. Because as it turns out, he's developed this anti-gravity thingy mm-hmm. and that's how come his ship doesn't get sucked right. into the black hole. Now, this is where the movie starts to go off the rails because at first he tells them he wants them to monitor his trip through the black hole, but then when things start to go wrong then he tries to kill all of them right. and then he wants them to join him on his great journey <laughs> right. through the black hole the script can't decide what it wants it, to do it, it can't decide what Dr. Reinhardt wants to do does mm-hmm. he wants to go through the black hole alone and have them monitor it? because he gives Anthony Perkins all of his notes which probably gets destroyed by the Maximilian robot <laughs> he cuts through Yes. The notes to get to Anthony Perkins. Now, keep in mind, there's no blood in that scene, but still, keep in mind that this is a Disney film. You're like going, what the? When you see the look on Anthony Perkins' face, it's kind of obvious this hurts. While I was watching this movie, and I watched it about a week ago in in preparation for this, it wouldn't take much for this movie to really push it into being art, because this is some dark material that we're dealing with Mm -hmm. in this movie. The robots that we're talking about, the robes and the blank faces, it turns out that's actually the crew which Dr. Reinhardt has lobotomized and turned into zombies, literally. It's only a couple of steps thematically from here to Event Horizon. There's some alien here, there's some Event Horizon, a bunch of different type of gothic space movies that I could think of. There's elements that's present in the black hole. They're desperately trying to get off the ship because the Ernest Borgnine character steals the spaceship to get off of the Cygnus before Reinhardt takes it in, into the black hole and Maximilian blows it up. This is a pretty homicidal yeah. robot. You have to wonder what was going through Dr. Reinhardt's mind when he says, I'm going to build a giant homicidal robot with buzzsaws for hands! Yeah, because right from the start when the crew of Palomino comes on, Maximilian's being all threatening yeah. and he's whipping out this buzzsaw yeah. hands. Reinhardt's got, constantly got to yeah. tell him, why would you build a robot 
that you can't control. Uh, I have no idea. Oh my God! He's going around. He threatens the little cute robot mm-hmm. Vincent, who, to give him his credit, is a plucky little son yeah. of a bitch because he don't back down and from. He's got, and let's not forget old Bob. Right, voiced by Slim Pickens. Voiced by Slim Pickens. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, and they did some major pushing of this film because they, there was like a major toy line. Yeah, and they right. went all out on this. But I have to admit, I was watching it. Even though the design of the Cygnus makes no sense, especially at the end, because when they're going through the black hole, there's also these big red meteors that are right. being pulled, and someone smashed into the Cygnus. And there's one great scene where it's rolling through a corridor, right. and the characters are running from it, Robert mm-hmm. Foster and others. Right. It occurs to me, well, see, that's what happens when you don't make your ship out of metal. Instead, you make it look like something from the 1920 Great right. Exposition Hall or the World's Fair in Paris. Mm-hmm. It's a glass spaceship, but it's a beautiful design. Right. They did go all out. With the special effects, I mean, it's in this definitely film. a pretty film. It, it's mm. just, especially considering that it's a Disney production. But you know what the main fault with it, Tom? What is? The I main was fault? watching it and I was enjoying performances and the special effects. I was getting off on the goofy little robot and old Bob. But it's not fun. It's a really dumb. We yeah. yeah no, it's it's a, they have a really creepy scene at the end where after they go through the black hole. And this is where it gets into the 2001 territory, because mm-hmm. we see Dr. Reinhardt just floating through space, and then he disappears, and then it's a, like a Sergio Leone shot where he comes up, yeah. and his whole face <laughs> is filling the screen, and you go, oh, shit, and, he up. and then we see Maximilian, the robot. Mm-hmm. The robot is lying on top of him, almost as if they're having sex. Uh, see, I don't want to think about that. And then the next shot you see is Reinhardt's eyes looking out of Maximilian's mm-hmm. eye slit, so... They've merged together in some weird fusion of... And apparently they're in hell. Then we cut to a scene where we see this angel floating through this hallway of light. Right. And presumably she's leading the other characters who have gotten on Reinhardt's probe ship and they right. escaped the destruction. Now, I remember reading the novelization of this years back. Because in the movie they never really explained how the other characters survived Which the black hole. Which is something hole. we're about to see a lot. In the in the, in yeah. the next come to our films, but right. in the novelization, which was written by Alan Dean Foster, right. who was doing a lot of novelizations back mm-hmm. then for science fiction movies, he used Dr. Kate McRae's ESP. She used that to hold their consciousness together until they got to the other side. Right. But that's it. We see them go through the black hole. There's 2001 light, and then they just go through the other side. And then they look at each other, and they're all fine. Right. And then the movie ends, and you're sitting there. You say, "Well, what happened?" But I have read people that worked on the film said they had no idea how to end right. it. I didn't see this film until I was an adult. Mm-hmm. But I could imagine seeing this as a kid and crying my eyes out. This thing is not for kids. No, it's not. It's a very grim story. It's very scary. It's If they wanted to remake this movie, they could. And it wouldn't take much to push it into really darker PG-13 or even R-rated territory. Because you've got lobotomized humans. You've mm-hmm. got killer robots running around. Right. You've got a mad scientist doing God knows what on this spaceship. Mm-hmm. I would recommend this movie to people to watch only for one thing, the cast. This isn't a cast you would expect to find in a Disney movie. And to give them credit, they don't play it like they're in a Disney right. movie. They play it straight. The special effects, they're nothing to brag about. They're not CGI. But if you want an example of how old school special effects used to be done. Right. This is a good example. There's like that early scene where the Palomino is drifting along, trying to find a dock, and you see this immense expanse of this crystal spaceship. And yeah. it's really 
really impressive. Yeah, yeah, it's really nice. This is a good example of old school special effects when they did it with miniatures and matte paintings and uh, everything else that goes along with it. So I would recommend it on that basis. But this isn't a movie for kids, and I guess Disney found that out. Yeah, Disney found that out very, very quickly. And yeah. found that the I box mean, And this might be the first seed that eventually blossoms into Disney around 1985, where we're going to stop this overview, founding Touchstone. To, right. to be the place where they could push all the more disturbing stuff. The more adult, for lack of a better term, the more adult movie. Roughly the same time as The Black Hole, a film was being made in England for Disney. Let's be honest here. A writer was Brian Clements. You know how much I love me and my Brian Clements. Oh, I love Brian Clements too. And if you guys don't know who Brian Clements are, listen, you got computers, go yeah. on Google, go on Wikipedia. That's your homework from us right. this week. Find out who Brian Clements is if you don't know. Clements wrote a screenplay based on a novel by Florence Engel Randall called Watcher in the Woods which Disney picked up. They cast Betty Davis in it. It was not her last movie, but it's one of her last movies. It's one of her last movies. Until the return of the Disney Mark II in the 90s, they had that stable they always maintained of their young stars. But they would have appear in four, five, six, seven movies. One of our favorite actors, Kurt Russell. Yep. That's how he got his start. He started a whole bunch of them. That's where his career exactly. began. They saw The Watcher in the Woods as a vehicle for one of those stars they were trying to push on America. A young woman by the name of Lynn Holly Johnson. She is a professional okay, ice so skater. She's a professional ice she skater. took second place in the okay. 1974 U.S. Figure this is Skating probably where Disney picked her up. She was in the James Bond movie, right. and that was a whole shtick that yeah. she was training for the Olympics. Trust me, you watch this woman for more than five minutes, you want to punch her in the face repeatedly. Yeah, she's a very annoying actor. And she has one of the most annoying voices ever to appear in a theater. And she sucked the life out of every scene she yeah. was in in that day. For your eyes and only. For your eyes only. But she played BB doll and she claims that it was a part that was created especially for her by Albert Broccoli because he loved her so much. Albert, you have some weird taste if that's the case. Yeah. The interesting thing about this film was it was made in 79 and 80. Did not come out here in the States till 82. Came out for a week. Mm-hmm. Got pulled again. In fact, for the longest time, Disney had a lease on the Radio City Music Hall where they would premiere all their movies at Radio City Music Hall. Yeah, 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 I remember. This may have been one of the last... I know that Return to Oz was the absolute last Disney film to be premiered at Radio City. Radio City Music Hall. This may have been among that handful of last ones. It came out, was around for, I think, maybe just a week, was pulled again, re-edited, new footage shot, Mm -hmm. re-released again, but under little cat feet where they were almost embarrassed to see it again. Mm -hmm. Well, this was a very troubled production. There were problems with the script. There was problems. Betty Davis wasn't in the best of health, so Mm -hmm. her participation was... Yeah, well, the last (laughs) ten years of Betty Davis' life was in a a perpetual state of sickness. Point where, of course, for her last film, she actually died after one day of shooting. I don't know if you've seen it, Wicked Stepmother, which is a Larry Cohen film. I've heard of it. Yeah, I've never seen it. Where they had to write all her footage. Got into an argument with Larry Cohen, (laughs) went home, and died. Don't argue with Larry Cohen. Don't argue with Larry Cohen, yeah. Apparently, the lesson for today is don't learn, don't mess with that, don't argue um, with Larry Cohen. The plot of the film, it's about a musician. Yeah, going to the plot. Okay, I'm going to Because it's been a while since I've I've seen it exactly twice. The family of a a famous musician who's Mm -hmm. played by David McCallum, Paul Curtis. Right. He's moving back to England and taking his American family with him because he's trying to work on an opera. And so he's going back to his family house. It's like him and his wife who's played by Carol Baker and his two daughters. Jan, who's played by Lynn Holly Johnson. Right. And Kyle Richards, who plays Ellie Curtis, who's okay. the youngest one. In the next house over lives Betty Davis. Betty Davis's daughter 
disappeared many years ago in the mysterious circumstance. As they're starting to get settled in, strange shit starts happening. As it usually does. Uh, a lot of it revolving around <laughs> mirrors. For example, Ellie gets a pet, a little dog that he, she calls Harab or something like that, mm -hmm. which is actually backwards for the name of the daughter. Lynn Holly Johnson is getting these weird sensations when she looks in the mirror and sees these visions of this little blonde girl. It gets weirder and weirder. She's like, you know, and it gets more confusing. It gets even more, more confusing. confusing. She gets into this flirtation with this British guy who lives mm -hmm. in the town, and they go to see him race motorbikes. There's this electrical discharge that almost kills Lynn Holly Johnson. But there was a message that Ellie gets that allows Lynn Holly Johnson to leave the spot where the electrical discharge hits at the right moment. Weird things happen when she goes into the woods as well. You're right, it's very confusing. Yeah, because I've seen it exactly twice, mm -hmm. and both times, if you told me to explain what was, I wouldn't be able to tell you. The upshot of it is, is that Betty Davis's daughter and two childhood friends who have since grown up to adulthood... Mm -hmm. One has become a recluse who lives alone in this one house and just will not leave the house. The other one, the other one is also lives in the town. She's the father of the kid mm -hmm. that Lynn Holly Johnson is flirting with. Okay. They had this secret club, mm -hmm. and they were inducting Bay Davis's daughter into it. But they did it at the wrong spot at the wrong time, and they opened up a gateway. <laughs> Is there ever a right time? Yeah. Right? yeah, right. They opened, and up, they a opened up a gateway. Yeah, okay, Into right. another dimension. Mission. And the daughter gets whisked away and has been in this other dimension, trapped. And the only way that she can communicate with, with our world is through mirrors. There's something about the interface between the mirrors right. that allows her to communicate through the outside world. Okay. The funny thing is, is that on the DVD that I watched this on, there are three separate endings. Yeah! Two of them are almost identical, in that Lynn Holly Johnson reenacts the ritual, mm -hmm. breaches the other side, meets this weird alien thing, which actually was really... Right, yeah. Given the age in which this thing was That's made... That's the ending I saw. I saw is that. ...is really, really cool, because it's this kind of like crystalline spider angel thing. Yeah. And brings the young girl back. Mm -hmm. In one version of the ending... She brings her back, and she's still 11-year-old. She's a little girl, girl, right. She's a little girl. In the other ending, she's an adult. And there's a third ending that makes even less sense, that, that doesn't have anything to do with the daughter at all. But there's a lot what, more special effects stuff at But the that's end. what Disney had to do. They had to go back, because they kept having people coming out yeah. of the movie theater to say, well, they didn't understand what the fuck had happened. And, and, and they kept having to go right. back and reshoot. Well, let's, and, and the funny thing about let's this shoot film, another ending. Let's shoot another yeah. ending. And the funny thing about this film is that you compare this to the black hole in the film that we're about to talk about. Tron. The Black Hole and Tron both look like theatrical films. They're both slick. Yeah, yeah. And they have good cinematography. This film looked to me like it was something that they were originally making for The Wonderful World of Disney, for NBC, and decided to release theatrically. It looks like a made-for-TV yeah, movie. Yeah, it's got that dulled, bluish-green palette to it mm. throughout that most TV movies of this era had. Plus, it's also got that graininess. Most of it is atmosphere as setting up scenes... Yeah. They have no payoff. Right. They're scenes that go nowhere. You think something's going to happen, and it doesn't. It just peters off into another mm -hmm. scene, and you're sitting there saying, well, where is this going with this? Is there something in the woods? Why is it called Why right. in the Woods? What's Betty Davis got to do with this? Right. What's well, they keep setting her up to be this evil person, yeah, right. and it turns out she has nothing to do She's whatsoever with the plot. Not a damn thing. That, that, that she gave birth to this young girl. Not a damn thing. You get the impression that they just wanted a big name attached to mm -hmm. it to give the project some prestige. Well, because nobody's going to go see Lynn Holly well, Johnson. Well, yeah, well, this is obviously <laughs> a Lynn Holly Johnson vehicle. Yeah. It's all about trying to get the tweener 
younger boys in the audience, taught for Lynn Holly Johnson, so they'll mm-hmm. go and they'll watch the next five Disney movies starring her. <laughs> Unfortunately, this was the only film starring her. With good reason. And, oh, she is a true horror. The only two movies I've seen yeah. this is this and the Bond movies, and I have no desire to see I think, her. I wonder else. if maybe it's because she appeared in the Bond movie that killed Disney's interest in her. Could be. Because she's got a kind of sort of hinted at nude scene. Yeah. She's like playing this over-hyper-hormonal teenage character. I can't understand what they saw, what the executives at Disney saw in Lynn Holly Johnson that made them think, oh, people are going to love her. <laughs> I really can't. Her voice is so annoying. Well, you and I are not movie executives. That's so true. We don't think like them. So. She's got this expression throughout this whole film that makes it look like somebody just up and hit her with a rock. Yeah, her main acting technique, and I remember this distinctly, yeah. is that she thinks if she opens up her eyes wider, yeah. she does that for everything. If she's scared, her yeah. eyes get wider. If she's happy, her and eyes get wider. This, <laughs> is a, this is supposedly a horror film. She does a lot of like hysterical screaming and carrying on. Mm-hmm. Hysterical screaming and carrying on in that voice is just unbearable. This movie, I, I think, probably was more noticeable... And got more notice because of the trouble. Yeah, it has more of a reputation because of what it wasn't rather than what it is. Exactly. This was one of the bigger nails in Disney's call. Oh, yeah. This was this was a massive bomb. Not only was it a massive bomb, it was a major disaster publicly. But they already had their eyes focused past this in 1981 to their next big project, which was, of course, Tron. (laughs) Tron, directed by Steven Lindsberg, written but with his story... Along with Bonnie McBird. I was impressed when I rewatched this. I watched this in the theaters at the Sunrise Multiplex one summer. Mm-hmm. But when I watched this again recently, I was surprised at how well it held up. Yes. I mean, it's dated, but I was impressed by how clever this film is. Yeah, I watched it recently myself, and I was sitting there on the edge of my seat like I was when I originally yeah. saw it. I mean, you really get caught up in the story. As a matter of fact, my thing is, if they want to make a shitload of money, just redo the special effects. Some people say, no, 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 they shouldn't mess well, with it. Well, the special effects I are... I look at the special effects now, and they look cheesy, but I also remember watching it in July of 1982 mm-hmm. and being Lord. Yeah. Back then, this was state of the art. Nobody had ever seen anything like this before. People think that CGI just blew up full-blown. Yeah. No, it was fits and starts. And this was CGI at its absolute infancy. This is the grandfather of yeah. CGI. If you're at all interested in CGI animation... You owe it to see this film. Then you, this is, yeah, then you need to see This Trump. is one of the first major films to use CGI as extensively as it did. Once we leave the real world, right. it's all... And it was all done in front of a blue screen. The actors was acting with stuff that they couldn't yeah. see that was put in later on. The same stuff they're doing now. This is about Kevin Flynn. Yeah, played, played, by played by Jeff, Jeff Bridges, Bridges, who was a master computer programmer. He used to work for this one company until a man by the name of Ed Dillinger. Now, he's, that's not exactly subtle. No. Ed yeah, Dillinger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played by David Warner. Played by David Warner. We like David Warner. Stole this program for a new video game he had devised called Space Paranoid, which has gone through the roof. So uh, Kevin walks away from the corporate world. We, when we see him... He's running this massive video arcade. Yeah, he's running his own video arcade, which apparently is the hottest spot because right. all the kids are there. He's not a millionaire, but he's living good because he lives in a loft mm-hmm. right, right above this massive video right. arcade. 
Meanwhile, Alan Bradley and his co-worker Laura are noticing some discrepancies in the computer system for the company that Kevin used to work for and decide, because Kevin still has this reputation as a super hot chip hacker, to enlist his aid. And that's when we start seeing this other world. Because we find out that Kevin has been secretly waging this covert war against the company, Mm -hmm. looking to crack into it. Trying to crack into it to get the information that he needs to prove that Dillinger stole his his, ideas. So what we got is the world inside the computer, Mm -hmm. which is done totally CGI. The physical characters are wearing special suits that are reflective, that they can do CGI designs on them. Right. This is really impressive for its Mm -hmm. day. The thing is, all of the main characters, like played by Doug Bridges and Bruce Box, like David Warner and Sidney Morgan... And Barnard Hughes, we find out that they have counterparts in of course because the computer you, world. You create a program; that program is part of you. You so create it in your image. So yeah. It's in, <laughs> so in the world, it's in your image. Which I hope the guys who wrote this lit up a cigar after yeah. that because that's a great idea. The program has got part of right. you in it, so why wouldn't it look like you? And in the computer world, these programs have lives. So they can't you know? get into the get this information because of the master control, control program. program. Bum, bum, bum. And they're a little worried about what this MCP, uh, MCP yeah. is doing. But how are they going to get in there? Because it's apparently it's using yeah. a lot more power than it really right. needs to. So they wonder, well, what's going on with that? Right. It's just one of the things that Alan and Laura have been wondering about right. since Dillinger took over. So they get an in thanks to the work of Dr. Walter Gibbs, who's played by Bernard Hughes, a great theatrical actor who occasionally appeared in, in movies. He's found a way to turn actual matter into a computer program. That's maybe a little bit far into science, more into science fantasy. But it's still a neat yeah, idea. It's, it's a neat idea. He shows it by creating a digital apple. And what happens is the, the MCP knows that Flynn is using Gibbs' computer bank because it's the most powerful bank in the company to try to hack in. And he gets really close and the MCP says, no, I can't allow that. And digitizes <laughs> Kevin. And sends him into the computer world. Then we switch almost entirely to the computer world. Right. Where Jeff Bridges meets up with uh, Bruce Boxelander's digital version, Tron, Tron, who's this great warrior. Oh, man. Kick-ass warrior. When mm-hmm. we first see him, everybody's playing games in this yeah. world. Dark, who is the overlord, who's, mm-hmm. working, who's like the right-hand man of the MCP. Who is also played by David Warner. Also played by David Warner. Is putting these people through these weird games, like the disc game. Mm-hmm. Which I never quite understood. Yeah, where they throw the disc, if the disc hits the floor, a portion of the floor disappears. Right. You have to stay standing, basically. Yeah. Then you have the, uh, the speed cycles. Mm-hmm. And all these other, like, really cool things. But Tron is the best one. He's never lost. Right. And he's got a super frisbee that if yeah. he hits you with that, that's your ass. Yeah. <laughs> That comes back to him like Captain America, right. she, and he can use it as a shield because mm-hmm. they try to right. dap him with their boats, and he reflects with those, like, it. Bizarre antivirus creatures, yeah, and he reflects it back, and then he throws it. And Tron is nobody to be messed with, and he hooks up with Jeff Your, Bridges' yeah. program, which is known as Clue, Clue, to take down the master control program from the inside. Right. They've so. got to reach Barnard use who is also in this. Well, everybody's yeah, everybody, in this like, Everybody that we've seen for the first half hour on the outside is on the inside, mm-hmm. has uh, some sort of... And this is the one where everybody remembers, if they don't remember anything else from Tron, they remember the, the motorcycle. The light cycle. Yeah, the light cycle. The light cycles. Which, so. which don't make a whole lot of sense, but it's cool. Let's right. see them things making them 90 degree turns. Yep. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and of course, because in the real world, Kevin Flynn right. was... Such a master player, and this one, this is like, yeah, it's like you know, exactly. he's like in heaven. He said, "Oh, I get to play computer games inside yeah. the computer." He reveals to Tron and yes. Yori that he's from the outside Yuri world. Yuri, who is uh, Cindy Morgan's 
at Avatar. And he's a programmer, which to them is like God. That's their religion, you know, mm -hmm. programming. Tron actually worships Alan because he says, oh, well, do you know my programmer? And he's really yeah. excited mm -hmm. to find somebody that's met his mm -hmm. programmer. He actually has to contact Alan to get a program which he's got to put inside right. the Super Frisbee and throw it mm -hmm. inside the Into MCP because that's what it comes down to at the end is trying against the MCP. Mm -hmm. I, I was surprised at how entertained I was. Oh yeah. This after all this years. And apparently even though it didn't do all that well in the theaters it has a cult following so much so that Disney is presently putting together Tron 2.0. Uh, like I keep saying, if they wanted to do it today, reissue Tron, mm -hmm. beef it up with modest CGI special effects, and just re-release the damn movie. Well, they're going to have to because you know what they're doing is they're putting Jeff Bridges through CGI the aging so that he looks like the Kevin Flynn Really? Of the movie. Oh, okay. But the thing is, if I had to choose between Tron 2.0 and I'm doing to Tron what they just did, what they're doing with Escape from Witch Mountain, which is remaking it, I'd rather have Tron 2.0. Because okay. the thing is, this is unique in and of itself. Part of the fun of it is those old school graphics. If you did them with modern Okay, I'll go with graphics, that. Yeah, I'll go with that. I don't think it would be as fun. It would just become an average adventure movie. And you hit upon the main thing about this. This is why, to me, it's got it all over all these other movies that we're going to talk about. Right. Yeah. Tron is fun as hell. You can sit there, you I can mean, have it's, a good... It's brutal. There are programs that get D-Rez. D-Rez. <laughs> but there's no... People die. They, a serious... Because the MCP has decided it can be God itself. There's like yeah. a whole thing about God in this, about who do you worship. Mm -hmm. And surreptitiously, with the help of Dillinger, it's been sucking energy off the California state energy grid. You're right. Because it wants more power. It wants to expand its influence further. It outward. wants to be God. It's got a happy ending. It's got appealing characters. The actors are all likable in it. Mm -hmm. David Warner, between this and Time Bandits, he was right. the best villain of he, all time. He was really great in this. Everything was good. I recommend that unabashedly to anybody. It holds up amazingly well, even today, for a movie made back in 1982. It just surprises me that it didn't do as well as it should have. Although, maybe it was the fact that it, it had the Disney movie. Well, yeah, because, because yeah. at this point, as we get deeper, so this is three years away from the black hole, there was a, beginning to get a bit of a stank. And you got to remember that for most people, for a long, long time, for them, Disney meant it was Mickey kids' Mouse, movie, you know, Sleeping Beauty, that sort. Because of thing. I actually didn't go see Tron until somebody else right. I knew recommended it to me. And when I saw it, I said, "Oh my God, this, yeah. shit, this is off the his up." Do you remember that incredibly hard stand-up video game? Oh, man, that thing sucked the quarters out oh, of yeah. me. Like, I could never get beyond like the first two, because it was the first round was the disc game. Hold on a minute. Historical note. There used to be these things called video arcades. Yes. <laughs> where you went in, and there were machines. You didn't play video games at home, kids. You had to go to video arcades and play them. Correct me if I'm wrong. Now, I don't think that many video designers make what they call stand-up modules anymore. No, I haven't seen any. I think the last video arcade in New York was the infamous Chinatown Fair. Was this the one with the chicken that you play? Tic-tac-toe? Yeah. Tic-tac-toe playing chicken. Yeah. I used to work on Continental Insurance, which mm -hmm. was on Water Street which was just a, a moderate-sized walk there. And the thing I loved about the Chinatown Fair was because it was an Asian or one thing, is that occasionally you would get games that were being play-tested. For example, I may be one of maybe five people who've actually played that hideous Avengers Galactic Storm game that they oh, did. Oh, okay, yeah, you were telling Midway me about did. Yeah, you were telling me about that. Yes, kids, we used to have to actually leave our house 
to go with play quarters. with quarters to go play video games because me and my mm. friends go to Times Square. Right. You know, it was full of video. Oh games. yeah, because what was it? Was it was it called? It was almost the block through. You yeah, between 47th Street and 48th Street on the Broadway side, mm-hmm. and you can walk straight, and you can walk through, straight through to Seventh yep. Avenue. Yup. Yep. I don't know if that was Playland or Playland. Yeah, I think that, that was, was Playland. That was okay. Playland. But yeah, that Tron game was hard as hell, man. But once again, it looked beautiful. Yeah, it did. You played just for the graphics, right? Because <laughs> you went there, and then you went to the, the Star Trek game, which was still using the stencil. Oh yeah, good days. Yes. Good days that we'll never see again. You kiddies don't know what y'all missed. <laughs> Maybe one day. Just did the whole day talking about great console games. Yeah, I'm, but, down, uh, I'm down for it. I don't know if that falls outside the movie purview, but we like it. Eh, we like it, so we do so, what we so like. So Tron came and went yeah. in the summer of 98. It was a critical success, and it made People money. Liked, yeah, yeah, critics it, liked it. It made a little bit of money, but not a whole lot. But it has this cult following to this day. Oh, yeah, and deservedly so. Next, we come to next year, 1983. Once again, they're trying to throw anything they can think of and see what they think could fit. So they come up with the idea of adapting a legendary, legendary Ray Bradbury horror novel. Which I think actually, is only really, I don't know, a horror novel. Yeah, and this, unlike Watcher in the Woods, Disney is making no pretension. Right. This is a horror movie. We're not dancing around. We're not saying, well, it could be this. No, this is a horror movie. In night. fact, they get Ray Bradbury to do the screenplay. Yeah. Actually, I read somewhere that this movie had actually been in production ever since, like, the 50s. It was, yeah, no, it was one of those, we occasionally talk about these films that just seem to be almost unfilmable, which mm-hmm. will go from producer to producer for years and years and yeah. years. We talked about how the I Am Legend project mm-hmm. went from producer to producer for like 20 years. Yeah, This is another one. Something Wicked This Way Comes. Because everybody agreed it was a classic novel. One of Ray Bradbury's favorite novels of his own. The character of Mr. Dark is based on that famous anecdote he likes to tell about when he was a kid mm-hmm. and met Mr. Electro. Yeah, Mr. Electro, right. Disney takes it over, mm-hmm. and they actually get it to screen in 1983. Directed by Jack Clayton, mm-hmm. and as you said, the screenplay was written by Ray Bradbury so, based on his novel. It's a fairly faithful representation. It's one of the most faithful novel to mm-hmm. movie adaptations that I've ever seen. It stars Jason Robards as Charles Holloway, who is the librarian of a small town in Illinois. Mm-hmm. It's during the Depression, right? Yeah. It's a town that Ray Bradbury has set other stories mm-hmm. of his in. But he's a librarian. Right. He's got a son. Will Holloway. Because the Jason Robards character and his wife had him right. like kind of late in life. Mm-hmm. So that's a concern of his that right. he really can't do the things with his son that he really wants right. to do. He's not an old yeah. man, but he's not a young man either. Yeah, you know? it's been like about a good 25, 20 minutes or so meeting the various people in this town. Because you have the guy who runs the bar who is a former football star until his leg got blown off in World right. War I. And he's only got one leg. There's a school teacher that obsess about her appearance and right. her age. And she's worried about getting older. There's a son, Will right. Holloway, and his best friend, Jim, Jim Nightshade, who Ray Bradbury has said, a representative of duality of yeah, his own nature, right. which he feels. What happens is that in this little small town, the carnival comes to town. Right, a very specific carnival. Run by Mr. Dark. What is it, Mr. Dark and Coogan's Pandemonium Show? Something That's that, what it's yeah. called, yeah. Great name for yes. a circus. <laughs> he is played by Jonathan Price. He's a very young... It's kind of shocking, because we think of Jonathan Price and we think of 
the gray-haired, bald guy. Yeah, he's actually got a baby face in this Yeah, one. You can imagine what he would look like without the beard. He's got thing. like a full head of hair. and he's. Oh, he's, yeah, yeah. And he plays Mr. Dark Rose, uh-huh. this sinister... Little because as we find out, it right. is it's quite a, sinister. Yes. It's a circus that, unlike any you've seen before. We're not talking Barnum and Bailey here, folks. Right. <laughs> it is a circus that rolls into a small town and seduces the inhabitants of said town mm-hmm. and transforms them into more acts. And this is what makes evil so seductive. It seduces you by giving you exactly what you right. want. We've got the old Chinese saying, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it. Right. They have a merry-go-round right. that it can run forward and backwards. If it goes forward, you age. If it goes backwards, you get younger. Right. Jim Nightshade, he hates being a child. He doesn't like being a child. Right. He doesn't like having to follow rules. He dreams about getting on the merry-go-round and getting older. But the school teacher who worries about getting old, they actually make her a little girl and she goes crazy. Right. You have this one character who's a widower and is always wants another wife. And so he gets introduced to (laughs) your girl. Oh, Pam Grill. Who's the dust The two boys, Will Holloway and Jim Nightshade, they're the first ones to realize the nature of this circus. And they can't get anybody to believe them except for the Jason Robards character, oh. and he has a really creepy encounter oh, with Mr. Dark. I Dorm. love this scene. This is like my favorite it's scene. It's a woo. Well, where, I'll let you describe it. This is your, but that where, thing is all. Whoa, where whoa. Mr. Dark don't watch it in the door with the lights on. him in his library with yeah. a book that he professes to be the book of his life, and he says, "I can add to this book, mm-hmm. or I can put you to an earlier page." Mm-hmm. And Jason Robards is not having it. He's tempted. He's mm. faltering a bit, but he still stands his ground. And so, Jonathan Price says, oh, right, so you want to play it that way? Mm-hmm. Rips out a page. There's you as a 90-year-old man. There's you as an 80-year-old man. Yeah. And just starts ripping pages out and go, your life is, is disappearing. Mm-hmm. And, like, every time he rips a page out, the page catches fire. And yeah, and flies. just vanishes oh. away. Price is really, really good at this. He's excellent in this. He's evil. Yeah. He is. With... The black hole, they flirted around with dark themes, right. and they did it even more watching the world. But this one, Disney, they pushed right. it to the same. This board is on a really, really scary movie mm. at times with what goes on. They have one character who's the illustrated man from right. other Ray Bradbury stories, and he's got tattoos of the boys in his right. hands, and he squeezed, and blood is coming yeah. out of him. It's all uh. oh, they're on the run from the freaks, and there's one really creepy where, where the freaks are going through the town searching yeah. for the boys, and they're in the sewer hiding from them. And so it comes down to these two boys, and this old librarian is right. up against this circus, and they're completely overmatched, and you don't see and how the they're going to... The thing I love about it is that they triumph from tapping into a resource that you would not expect mm-hmm. in this type of a film. The thing that Jason Robards manifests, if you will, mm-hmm. to finally drive Dark away. Yeah. Which ends with that wonderful shot of him and his son going down the road to their house, mm-hmm. laughing and playing. It's a surprise, and it, that, I think, kind of brings it back to be more like a family picture, even though it yeah, is even. extremely dark. Although I wonder if, at this point, the damage is so badly done to the Disney name that that's why people stayed away from it. Because yeah, The people who are big, hardcore horror fans were like, well, I'm not going to go see a Disney movie. Right, exactly, because they said, well, it's Disney. How much horror yeah. can they do? But they really pushed it as far as they were comfortable with back then. And I think they even went a little bit yeah. further than that, because there are some genuinely creepy scenes in this movie, like the one you cited mm-hmm. with 
the confrontation right. in the library, the one where the freaks are hunting for the boy through the town. There's one where Will is in his room and tarantulas right. all of a sudden come out of nowhere. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it's not your average Disney movie. Unlike Tron, which has a cult following and a bit of critical claim, this one didn't do well at all. No. the board. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of these things that needs to be rediscovered. Yeah. As long as you keep in the mindset that this is not going to be kind of horror film where... Blood is going to be pouring out of everywhere. Yeah. This isn't a slasher type of yeah. movie or bladder porn or whatever you want to call it. This is a more spiritual, psychological mm-hmm. type of horror that really works on your emotions and depends heavily on mood and atmosphere. And hey, it's got Pam Greer in it, so you can't go yeah. wrong. <laughs> you know you like the Pam Greer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's got Diane Ladd in it, too, who back then was, she was hot then. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, remember, we're talking about Laura Dern's mom right. here, so good genes there. We have two more films. They're both from 1985. One of them represents the absolute last film that was ever premiered at Radio City Music Hall. And the other one represents a film that is in Disney's mind so bad, they don't even want to acknowledge it anymore. (laughs) With good reason. It's really funny how they didn't even release this on any sort of video until about two or three years ago. Mm -hmm. And even then, they didn't quite trumpet it because they're really, really ashamed of it. And you can't help but wondering, well, they figured, well, you know, everybody's high on Lord of the Rings, so the fantasy film is kind of like in vogue now. Maybe if we throw this out, maybe people will buy it for their kids. I guess we might as well get into that one first, which is The Black Cauldron, which was the next-to-last film that was premiered at Radio City Music Hall. Mm -hmm. I think it appeared and disappeared very quickly, because I think they knew they had a turkey on their hands very, very, very rapidly. Directed by Ted Berman and Richard Rich. Based on the novel by Lloyd Alexander. Well, my understanding is that there's a whole series of books. Yeah, I think it's like five of them. Well, naturally, Disney was hoping if this clicked, they were going to go on and they were going to film the other And it was based very heavily on Celtic legend. Yeah. The thing about this film, as we will learn, is that this is the last, the absolute last of the old, old school Disney formula film. This is actually almost painful how much this used towards... That very old formula. The main character is Taryn, voice talent by Great Barsley. The pig boy. The pig boy, who is acting as the apprentice to, let's see if I can pronounce this, because all Welsh Celtic stuff. Yeah. Dalvin, who is a magician in this little Welsh town, and he is... Not exactly a Merlin. Not exactly a Merlin, and he is particularly in charge of Dalvin's pig. Mm-hmm. Who can see the future? Can see the future. Believe it or not, folks. I want to repeat that. This kid keeps a pig that sees the future. Now, what the hell good is a pig that can see the future? Because the pig can't tell you what. Well, the it's future- like they get a bowl of water. They have it enchanted. They put the water in front of the pig. The pig puts its snout it's in the snout water. In the water. <laughs> and then, depending upon what images appear in the water, that's what's going to happen in the future. I don't know. People say Derek analyzed this shit too much. No, but wait a minute. How do you discover a pig can tell the future? Who was the first one to discover? Did the wizard give this pig the power to tell the future? Or did the pig tell him? I'm just wondering. Did he tell him in pig Latin? If the pig is just blowing bubbles of the snout, and Dalvin is just so far gone, he's like, look, it's predicting the future. I guess not because the bad guy of the piece, the Horned King, wants the pig. Wants the pig. So this is a film entirely about who gets possession of a pig. Now, the Horned King is supposed to be the ultimate manifestation of evil, but he wants a pig. But he wants a pig. Oh, he's basically okay. this big skeleton-like thing in a robe with, sure enough, 
big elk's horn sticking out of his big head. Horn sticking out of his head. Uh, voiced by John Hurt. Mm-hmm. And don't get us wrong, we love John Hurt. Yeah, I like John Hurt. I don't mind so, seeing him make some money. Let's not spend too much time on this. The pink gets in possession of the Horn King, as does Tarin. Tarin gets thrown into a dungeon with Elwini. Princess Ella. Elwini, or whatever. Who is your... Well, she's a Princess Leia clone. But she's she's Princess Leia clone has seen through 1950s Disney. This is not the Disney female leads of the Little Mermaid, or Beauty and the Beast, or Pocahontas, who are proactive, and who are willful, and have their own dreams and goals. This is a little twist of a thing that knows magic and that's about it they escape with the help of Fleur de Flamme mm-hmm. played by Nigel Horthon who has a mandolin who every time he tells a lie a string breaks right He's also going to be like a little bit of a con man yeah. or sort of a petty thief. And let's not forget the probably the most annoying thing in this entire film. No, it's not the Creeper played by Phil and Nicaro. No, it's John Biner's Gurgi. Yeah. Who looks like an ambulatory sheepdog and has that annoying... An annoying speech pattern. Oh, Gurgi got crunches and munches for Gurgi. Yeah. Oh, God. It, because they waste about five minutes with him trying to steal an apple from yeah. Karen, of all things. Yeah. It took me two times to try to watch this movie because I kept going to sleep. More than anything, more than the ridiculousness of the plot, is the fact that this film drags on it's, and it's on. boring. It's done totally in the old school Disney style. So even the, the sound sounds a little bit tinny because they're doing it in a big studio. Mm-hmm. It's so And even beyond slow. that, you know what really screws this up? The scenes with Taryn and the princess and Fluter and all of them. Yeah. It's drawn a traditional Disney thing. But then when you get to the scene with the Horn King and his minions in the castle, all of a sudden it starts looking like Ralph Bakshi animation. And the two animation styles of two. And there are some violent fight scenes in this it, film. Yeah. Well, this is another one of these films like Watcher in the Woods, which is more famous for what happened to it rather than what it is. Because this had an extremely troubled this... production as well. I don't know if Ralph Bakshi worked on this movie. Whoever did the Horn King scenes, they mm-hmm. were definitely swiping this style. And the two animation styles just are too jarring up against each other. It's a boring movie. And as I've told you many times, a movie can do a lot of things to me. Just don't bore me. It is, to the best of my knowledge, the only Disney animated film that has never been reissued theatrically. Because every one of them was reissued. Even the the Rescuers Down Under was reissued. Bedknobs and Broomsticks was reissued. This guy... Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I like Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I'll watch that. This film, after its initial release, which I think didn't last very long was promptly pulled and locked in a vault and was never seen again until recently. It was like they were actively ashamed of it. This was the film that shut down the animation division for for close to five years. Yeah, folks, it was that bad. After this one, they abandoned conventional cell animation Mm. until... The decision was made to try it again with The Little Mermaid. Trust me, folks. It is bad. We've seen it. It's that bad. But there was one other film, the last one we're going to talk about today. Okay. Which also came out in the year 1985, and this is the one that I've told was the last of the Radio City Music Hall film. This was Walter Murch's Return to Oz. Okay. Which has a reputation for being extremely dark and depressing. It is written by Gil Dennis from a couple of L. Frank Baum novels. You and I have talked about this. People forget that... 
Fel Frank Baum wrote something like 20 Oz novels in yeah, his lifetime. Yeah, a lot of people, they think Wizard of Oz, and they think that was it. No, it's about 20 novels that he wrote, all yeah. about Oz. And the later ones, eventually, Dorothy's uncle and aunt, right. they go to Oz, and they live there, mm-hmm. and she goes back, and she becomes a princess. Scarecrow had his own book, where right. he goes off on his own, The Tin Man. All of the various characters. So there was a lot more going on than just the wizard. So this was shot during 84, was uh, released on June 21st, 1985. They tried to make a big deal out of this. That's what this has got in common with all the rest of the Disney yeah. movies that we've been talking about. Because they did make a big deal out of all of these movies, hoping to drum up interest right. in them. And I think what the main thing, like he was telling me about mm-hmm. the uh, talent search. Yeah. They played a new Dorothy. They had a, an international talent search to find the new Dorothy. Mm-hmm. And who they ended up with was little nine-year-old Faruza Balik, who is perhaps better known now for being this curious-looking but very, very hot young woman who was in The Craft. Things uh, to do in Denver when, when you're dead. dead. The Water Boy. And a number of other films before disappearing from the face of the earth entirely, it seems. Let's not forget, of course, the infamous remake of Island of Dr. Moreau. It's takes up a couple of years later mm-hmm. from after the original Wizard of Oz. Dorothy is troubling her aunt and uncle who <laughs> believe that it's all a big story. There are no talking <laughs> tin men or walking scarecrows. or Those sugar-coated, they think she's crazy as two fruitcakes. Yes. <laughs> Two fruit cakes in a nut basket. During the first 15 minutes of the film, Auntie M, who is played by Piper Laurie, takes Dorothy to the insane asylum! Yeah, they put her in the nut house where she undergoes shock treatment. Administered by one Dr. Worley, played by Nicole Williamson. Another great bad guy. Another great bad guy, but there's a big storm that comes on during that night before she gets the electroshock treatment. It ends up destroying the asylum and sweeps her away, along with her chicken. Yeah, Belina. Into Oz, once again. But it's an interesting thing is that, well, I've read a couple yeah. of the Oz books, is that that seems to be the way that people on Earth find their way through Oz, through natural disasters. Because mm-hmm. one time there's an earthquake, and that's how Dorothy gets back to Oz. Storm isn't very much in keeping with... Now, during this the mean, sequence the on Earth, she's having, once again, something about Disney films, a vision of a little blonde girl in mirrors. She gets away from the, the desert of deadly death or whatever yeah. the yeah, it's called. Yeah, yeah. Which you, sounds like something from a yeah. Monty Python which skit. Is, <laughs> which is, if you touch its sand, you get turned to stone. Mm-hmm. But she and Belina manage to traverse the desert of deadly, or whatever the heck they call that thing. Who now can talk now that she's yeah. in Oz. To go find the, the Yellow Brick Road, to find that the Yellow Brick Road has been wrecked. So they follow it to the Emerald that, City, which, which has been, also been which wrecked. Which has been destroyed. And is populated by these various statues, one of which is the Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. Also, she finds this curious and rather eerie sight of this one courtyard where there are these group of young girls, apparently playing like Ring Around the Rosie or something, and all their heads are missing. Yeah, oh, I, yeah, I remember that. That's a very disturbing image. And then they encounter the Wheelers. Yeah. <laughs> who are these weird, spindly-looking guys with these extremely long arms, arms that are connected to, to wheels. Wheels. On the front, and also their legs are, are like that as well, mm-hmm. very long. They wear helmets with faces on them. Mm-hmm. So when they're wheeling forward towards you, their faces, it's, it's just very strange. Yeah, you look at it and you just say, what? am I looking at? It makes you look twice. So she runs away from the wheelers and finds TikTok, mm-hmm. which is the army of Oz. It's just the one, one guy. metal guy. One little potbelly robot, uh, basically. Yeah. <laughs> With the three keys that you have to wind up. Yeah. And also, more importantly, they also meet Mumby, played by Jean Marsh, who is this bizarre witch who... 
doesn't like her own head. She has different heads. Yeah, so she borrows other people's. Yeah. At first, she's so nice. And depending on her mood, she changes her yeah, head. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. If she's and, mad, she puts yes. on a head that's got a mad face on. Right. If she's happy, she puts on a head that right. has a happy face on. Yeah. And at first, she's like, oh, nice to Dorothy until Dorothy realizes that she's going to lock her away until she reaches adulthood <laughs> and then take her head. Take her head. Good because she has a sweet smile. So it's like <laughs> her and TikTok and Belina are locked away. They find Jack Pumpkin. Jack Pumpkin head. Who is the this weird scarecrow-like thing with a pumpkin for a head that apparently Mumbi created to test out this formula that she made to bring things to, to bring life. things to life. But well, didn't like it, so she said, go into that room and wait for me to call you. And that's what he did. Are you Bob? Yeah, are you my mommy? But in this movie, we've all got analogs yeah. for the original companions. And Tick of course, Rock, he's the, he's the Tin, tin Woodman. Man. Right, analog. Jack, Jack Pumpkin is the scarecrow. And of course, my favorite character... The gum. The gum. <laughs> the gum. I love the gum. Because it is just such a goofy idea. Which is a couch. They sneak out of the, out of the, the room and steal that elixir that gave Jack Th- that, the pumpkin. Right. That gives and inanimate objects life. Cobble together this weird thing. It's a couch with wings on it mm-hmm. and a moose's head. It's an osmoose, so it's called the gump. And they give it life, and that's the <laughs> gump. It's alive! Played by Lyle Conway, and he's just so funny. It's a stupid-looking thing that could only exist in Oz. But you got things like the flying monkeys or the right. wheelies that could only exist in Oz. Nobody would think twice about looking at a flying couch with a moose Right, head. and they learned that since Dorothy has last been there, and the Scarecrow has become the king, the Emerald City was assaulted by the Gnome King. The Gnome King, Who was right. in every rock in Oz. In fact, there's some really cool animated sequences by the claymation pioneer Will Vinton. Yeah. Which show the Gnome King talking with some of his subjects. Mm-hmm. Will is, Vinton, who you guys may know more for the California right. Raisins, yeah. And also did a really, really cool, creepy short called Closed Mondays, if you've ever seen it. No, I've never seen it. Oh, you I'm have to. Fun. Look it up. Look, look up, because it's a cool, cool film. So what's the name of it? Closed Mondays. It's a little short film about what? a weird museum. I'm going to look that up on YouTube. This ragtag group, led by Dorothy, mm-hmm. head off to confront the Gnome King and get him to give back the Emerald City. The Gnome King is played by Nicole Williams, who played the Doctor. And yeah. i got to admit, at first, where the Gnome King is done by that claymation animation, I loved him. Because he looks so unlike anything else, but slowly but surely he becomes Nicole Williams in a suit, and then it becomes a little bit less interesting. And then interesting. it becomes, yeah, a little less interesting. He was more interesting as a villain when he was mm-hmm. like this massive now, the thing piece of living rock. Interesting to me about this film, and it's something that a lot of people don't know, I think it's funny because I think that this decision bit them on the ass, <laughs> is that production staff chose to go back to the original Oz books for their representation of all the characters. Yeah. When you first see the Tin Woodsman, and you first see the Scarecrow in that sequence in the abandoned Emerald City, I was struck with it. That's directly from the books. That's directly from the books, right? The designs are taken right from the books. And they don't realize, because whenever people think of The Wizard of Oz, of course people think of Judy Garland. A lot of people actually have never read the actual Mm -hmm. book. As a matter of fact, Return to Oz is more in spirit with what Frank right. L. Baum wrote. It's very faithful to yeah, it's Baum's more, writing. Yeah. And I think the thing is, is that the movie has become Oz to most people. Yeah, so they were looking at this going like, what the hell is this stupid looking yeah, thing? Yeah, most people looked at it and they said, well, that's not... They expected to see more singing and dancing yeah. and happy and munchkins. That's not what Frank L. Baum originally yeah, wrote. it's not a musical, which I think is another thing that most people were turned off by. Yeah. 
It's a straightforward fantasy, and I think it's a good film. Like The Black Hole, it surprises me that this film has the reputation it does. Black Hole has its problems, but if you remade it right now, there's a big, fat, hunkin' germ of a good idea there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's the same thing with Return to Oz. Return to Oz is a good film that, because it's not... The perception that most people have. Right, the public perception. Got killed. Got got murdered at the box office. They swore this movie unmercifully. (laughs) Nobody went to see it. So many of the critics focused on that first dark 20 minutes. Yeah, there was a lot of controversy about it. And I'm sure that people will see this movie. Gotta remember, back then, people were kind of sensitive about stuff like that. And seeing a little kid mm-hmm. hooked up to and having shock therapy. Yeah. People would say, oh my God, what the hell? It does not deserve the reputation. Nah, nah, far from it. I encourage if you can get past... The perception of The Wizard of Oz, which is a prettyfied, candified version of the L. Frank Baum books. Mm -hmm. You will probably have a good time watching this. And it it probably revels in its own goofiness. That's the other thing I love. Yeah, yeah. It is totally unapologetic about the... It makes no apology for the fact that it's off the wall. It just encourages you to sit back and just have a good time watching. And yeah, if you watch it in the right spirit, you'll enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I know I did. I first watched it, I think it came on HBO years ago, and I watched it, and I didn't see it in, in the movie theater. And then when I saw it, I kicked myself. I said I should have went to see this. I said because it was a perfectly good movie. Yeah. There was nothing wrong. Most of the animated characters were done by the Henson, which was, I think, their first co-production with Disney. Eventually, Disney bought Henson outright. Yeah, they did. Jack Pumpkinhead I think is, it was shortly before his death they bought him out. Jack Pumpkinhead is puppeteered by Stuart LaRange, but is voiced by Brian Henson, Jim's son. It does work very much, although, at first, it's funny, when they first heard it, Michael J. Fox? Because <laughs> he sounds very Michael yeah, J. Fox-like. Yeah, 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 he does. And also, it's worth mentioning, this is when Henson was experimenting with projects that they don't, because I think that Labyrinth came Labyrinth out. Labyrinth came, came no, out Labyrinth and uh, The Dark Crystal. And The Dark Crystal, preceded. yeah. That was the last thing they did before they went into this production yeah, the Dark deal Crystal. with Disney. Obviously, Disney owns both Labyrinth and Dark, and Dark Crystal. Crystal. Which this will be making a CGI they're making, sequel. They're making so a CGI. The, of course, what I would like to see is a new, a new Labyrinth story, actually. Despite the fact I, I love like, Jennifer Connelly, yeah. I've never seen that. I would think it'd be interesting to see a movie where they return to that character. Because Jennifer Connelly is 13 when she made the film. I would like to see a film maybe where they return to see that character now that she's an adult woman. And we get her back into that world again and see how she reacts to the world then. Yeah, I have to get around to seeing, believe it or not, and people say, oh, but you love Jennifer Con-. I say, yeah, but no, for some reason, I've just never seen Labyrinth. And it comes on all the time. The yeah. Disney Channel shows it all the time. They also they did Yoda in Empire Strike Back, right. the Henson Studio. But they were experimenting with different things besides the Muppets. So, okay, to review, a little walk through the darker days of Disney. Okay. The we Black- actually have a couple of films that maybe should be revisited one of these days. However, The Black Hole is not one of them. Although I think there's a germ of an idea there that could be grown into a full-grown film. Well, I got to disagree with you there. But know some folks, it depends on you. If you like the actors that's in the movie and right. want to see a good example of old school right. special effects, the robots in this one is voiced by Roddy McDowell and Slim Pickens are uh, way too cute for me. But you can't have some Slim Pickens right. talking in that voice coming out of a robot. Right. And the thing about old Bob is that he's beat up and dinged. And oh, like, he's been beat to shit. The, the, yeah. the top part of his head is kind of lopsided. Yeah, I would say see it on that basis. Watching the Woods definitely should stay in the big black hole somebody dropped it into. Avoid it like you would Ebola. From what I understand, Lynn Holly Johnson is married and has children and is retired from the business. 
Thank you. We wish her nothing. Yes, Lynn Holly Johnson. We, we wish her well. Thank you for not making any more movies. We wish her well. However, Tron. Tron is probably the must-see. Yeah, of all of that, that's the one that we would say this, you have to see. This is the must-see. If you haven't seen it yet, go out this weekend and Netflix it or whatever right. you're going to do or rent it. And if you have seen it, what the hell, watch it again. We definitely also say take a look at something Wicked This Way comes as well. If you're looking for something a little bit differently, right. for God's sake, if you don't want to see Friday the 13th, if you want to see a literate horror movie, right. something that engages something the emotion in more than, than guts. You definitely see something Wicked This Way come. If for nothing else, then it's got Jason Robards, a uh, very young Jonathan mm-hmm. Price. In one of his first acting roles. I think it was his first theatrical role, I'm not sure. Really? Yeah, because he was a major star in England. On the th- Mr. Dark is a far, 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 far way away from Elliot Carver. Yeah, oh. Who we will be talking about in an upcoming <laughs> Bond episode. Black Cauldron. Uh, Another uh, one you, you avoid like Ebola. This one was so bad, Disney disowned it. This one almost killed Disney's animation studio. If you're one of these people who love New School Disney, who love The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, and Finding Nemo, no, I I think the Pixar branches would would have happened anyway. Because Brad Bird is that smart of a guy, but that whole string that just died recently, things like you know uh, Mulan and all those things, yeah, The Lion King. If you love that, this film almost took that opportunity away from you. Almost took that away from you. It's that bad, folks. Don't even watch this for free. If you've got the Disney Channel and it comes on there, don't watch it. I guarantee you'll be asleep before the 40 minutes. I'm telling you, I had to watch this thing twice. And the only reason I watched it was in preparation for this episode. Now that we've done this... I will never again watch The Black Cauldron. I think I may have broken the disc before I started back. Oh, man. You actually spent money to rent this? Netflix. Oh. But I think I actually scratched the disc before I brought it back. Oh, God. Just to prevent that horror from escaping into the world again. Finally returned to Oz, which also isn't that bad as you may have heard. And along with Something Wicked This Way comes in. It also features a very interesting 15-minute interview with Feruza Valak. And it was shot about two years ago, where she talks about her experiences making the film. Definitely, if particularly if you're interested in old-school fantasy, this is something that yeah. you'd probably be surprised at how really good this is. I mean, I was pleasantly surprised when I finally saw it. Like, with most of these live-action movies, it's got a cast that you would not expect right. to See in a Disney movie, you got Nicole Williamson, you've got Gene Marsh, you got Piper Laurie, you've got Matt Clark, who usually plays a bad guy. Right. He plays Uncle Henry. He's another one that we can recommend that you see. It's not too bad. Mm-hmm. Granted, when it's bad, it's like the girl with the curl. When it's bad, it's really when it's really bad, bad. It's really bad. But these were the movies that Disney back during those that dark Disney days, made during a time when it worried that it was not going to. Exist for that was not longer. going to survive. Now it's time for the administrative. Yes, sir. We go into our administrative. So once again, folks, if you love us, if you hate us, if you want to tell us that Lynn Holly Johnson is the most beautiful woman on the face of the planet, and and if you do whatever you're smoking, you're on my list. Whatever you're smoking, send me yeah, some. Derek right. Ferguson. <laughs> I'm serious. If, if somebody says that, you may end up being on my list along with the Dowdells. Okay, just put it in an envelope. And that guy who told Eva Mendez that she looked like Raquel Welch. Oh, you went back to that again. Oh, the, the, the list. Go because, on with the look, administrative look, stuff. I'm going to be kicking some ass. You're kicking ass. And now, Kellen says he's going to be kicking ass. That's a lot of ass. ass. Like, through the hard way. How many asses? And I'm John Saxon. We yeah. Got, we got to find a lot of asses there. That's, that's a whole bunch of ass. We gotta find an ass for three people now. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
sorry. Back to the administrative okay. stuff, Thomas. You can write us at, I still want to do the Waka Chickas. You can, you can write us at better mm, the dark at gmail.com. That's better the letter N the dark at gmail.com. You could Waka Chicka Waka Chicka Waka Chicka Waka Chicka. You could also Join us on our message board where many of our fans get together to talk about the firm episodes, things that are going on in the movies, and you can go there at betterinthedark.proboards105.com. Or, of course, you can go to our site page. Right now, the newer episodes are appearing on betterinthedark.podomatic.com, mm-hmm. but our older episodes are continuing to be archived at bitd.lipson.com. We've presently got 25 of those episodes up. We're going to have another big slew in March. And hopefully, about the end of spring, we'll start doing the new episodes there as well. And is that it? Yes, that's it. So what have they got... To look forward to well, what we got in well, upcoming episodes. Well, I we're think going to, we're going to be doing Bond. We're, we're going to doing get back to Bond. Get to Bond. Mm-hmm. I know that that last episode is one you're looking forward to. Oh yeah, it's time you think I rant. We're going to look at Hellboy in the movies and television. Mm-hmm. We're going to do an episode where we're going to give advice to actors and, and directors who we think have kind of lost their way. We give our recommendations for how they can repair their uh, their careers. Uh, um, we're, we're going, going to, to do our semi remake of. Our first episode, the right. Indiana Jones episode, where mm-hmm. we're going to cover the Kingdom the of the thing. Crystal Skull. Right. Yeah. We're probably going to get to Superman sometime this year. We're going to have our review show coming up, but we're waiting until after we see Watchmen. Right. So we've got a full slate of fun goodness. Yeah, we've for got you. stuff coming up. Plus and, a walk at chicken. And like I, and like Tom said, if you go to the message board, because we love dropping hints. Ask, see, well, Dirk and Tom, what you guys going to do about this and that and the mm-hmm. other? We'll tell you. I we got, do. I, mean, I got a big mouth. <laughs> the episode that we just did today about Rambo. Was a suggestion from an audience member. That's right. So we do listen, and we do try to respond, and we do... Uh, I think that there's also... Uh, was it John Drew suggested an episode about television versions of movies? Right. Which we might get to, because we like to do, go and dip into the TV... We ought to mention... You know, oh, that's right. Aren't we also doing the thing about David E. Kelly? We're yeah. Supposed to be doing the da- yeah, we're going to do We're doing that. a couple of episodes where we're going to look at certain creators and try and you know, see if they've gone off the rails or... If they're doing the, the right thing, we're going to do one for David E. Kellen. We're doing mm-hmm. one for Kevin Smith. You ought to mention The Chronic Rift, which is John oh, Drew's yeah, right. podcast. Because you know what they did recently? They did a whole thing where they interviewed one of the stars of Mystery Science Theater yes. 3000. Which really, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, see, this is where y'all going to hate me. I really didn't care for that show, but I know a lot of you out there are and fans. And let's not forget, I mean, you do views on that show, and I'm going to be, be one of the panelists on May's episode concerning the Bond films. Oh, okay, cool. I do little two, three-minute reviews on there. I just recently did one for Gran Torino. If you go to www.chronicriff.com, and that's the Chronic Riff. Okay, so folks, you got a lot of goodness to look forward to. I'm going to ask Tom to waka waka walk us out of here. <laughs> <laughs> he's Thomas DJ And he's Derek Ferguson And, and a Action movie theme song <laughs> And until next time No matter where you go No matter what you do No matter who, I'm, I can't I can't say this <laughs> But uh, no matter what John Biner voice, stupid looking Alsatian creature tries to steal your apples. Oh, God. Go watch that, Go to watch that, that movie. movie.
Good night. Take care. God bless. <laughs> hey, everyone. It's your fiendly neighborhood podcaster, Desmond Reddick here. Every Monday, Dread Media comes out and it offers up all kinds of reviews from all over the horror genre, from comics to movies to video games, music, and more. April's another special month for Dread Media as we're bringing you an interview every week during April. Everyone from genre legends to newcomers, movers and shakers, and legends of the future. Beginning on Monday, April 6th with the legendary comic book artist of fine, fine series like Howard the Duck, Night Force and Tomb of Dracula. Gene Colan talks about his 60 plus year career, movies, and upcoming projects. Join me for what I consider to be my best interview to date and stick around all month to see if I can top it. Dread Media, every Monday for 83 weeks straight and counting. www.dreadmedia.net. Can you dig it? <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Tom C.J. and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Kelly of Podcrawlers, John S. Drew of the Chronic Rift, the Drunken Zombie Crew, Eric Frome, and the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards105.com. Better in the Dark vows that if some two-legged Alsatian demands munches and crunches, we'll munch and crunch it in the head. Repeatedly. Older episodes of the show are archived at bitd.lipson.com. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, and pipe bombs to betterinthedark at gmail.com. That's better the letter N, thedark at gmail.com. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation. All material copyright, Thomas C.J. and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that it may be cool to fly with a gump, but it's not a particularly manageable pet. Hey, 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 it's the big master control program everybody's been talking about. Bum 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 bum